Easter week. It's been fantastic. Uh, some of us have been joining together on Zoom every morning. That's been brilliant. Every morning at seven, uh, I'm feeling slightly jaded today. Uh, I suspect others of us uh, as well. It's an early start when you have to be online at seven. Didn't we have a great time uh, on Good Friday as well, joining with the other churches in town as well as we, yeah, brilliant. Let's round of applause. God says in his word that where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there he commands a blessing. And I'm so looking forward to seeing the fruit of the blessing that we enjoyed on Friday. I'm saying all this because I want us to honor our techies this morning who have worked insanely hard this week. Can we say thank you to Dave, to Toby, to George? Um, I can't tell you how early these guys have started to make sure that we're ready to worship. And every time we move to a different venue, which we've done twice this, work, it twice this week, it creates so much work. Um, Dave and Toby particularly this week, but to the techie team, to Silvio, to George, Beth, and everybody else who I'm now forgetting to mention, and Katia, uh, we're so incredibly grateful for the way that you serve us. It's a rhetorical question, so don't answer it, or you might embarrass yourself. Uh, your favorite TV program, I wonder what that would be uh, if I were to ask you that question today. Uh, there are a few TV programs that our family religiously, and I mean religiously, watch together throughout the year. The Great British Bake Off, who likes that? A few of us. The Great British Pottery Throwdown. Don't I love the guy who, who cries every time he sees such a beautiful piece uh, of pottery? Uh, who's been watching Clarkson's Farm? Anyone? No, that's banned in our house because it's just wrong. Uh, no, it's not really. We, we've been watching Clarkson's Farm. Ant and Dex Saturday Night Takeaway, brilliant program, love that. Interior Design Masters, really enjoy watching that kind of thing. They're just a few of the programs that we watch. But I can't tell you how pleased I was when I discovered a couple of weeks ago that Race Around the World is back on TV. Anyone been watching Race Around the World? Some of us. If you haven't seen it, you've got to watch it. The concept is absolutely brilliant. A variety of pairs of different types of people, spouses, brothers and sisters, dads and daughters, they're in a race to get from one point on the globe to another point on the globe that's thousands of miles away. They can travel any route they like, but they are not allowed to use a plane and they are not allowed to use a telephone. Uh, the winners are the pair that finish first, that get to the finish line uh, ahead of the others. It's very, very entertaining because what you discover how, is how incompetent we contemporary human beings are at trying to navigate without some of the devices that we've become so reliant upon, namely Google Maps. Uh, the contestants in the program, they get lost often and they have to go up to strangers and beg the strangers, would you please give me some clear instructions of where to go? Now, of course, the way it works is if they ask a stranger who knows the area, they're on a win. Better still is if they ask a stranger who can give them very clear instructions of where to go, who has actually been to the destination they're trying to get to before. That's the best kind of stranger to speak to. The race is an absolute emotional roller coaster where the participants encounter loss and confusion, frustration, but too there are some teary moments. There are moments where you see the incredible strength and the hope that can come to a human being when you finally have a clear sense of where you are going. Well, aside from my uh, giving you an insight into my TV watching habits, why did I tell you all that? Well, all will become clear 
in just a moment. This morning, we're going to open up John chapter 14 uh, in our Bibles. If you've got a Bible, do turn to to verse 5. Don't worry if you haven't. Uh, I'm going to read it, and you can listen in. We're going to join a moment in the Eastern narrative where Jesus is responding to a question that's been asked by Thomas. And do you know what? I am so glad that Thomas has the courage and the humility to ask the question that he asked Jesus. Because the truth is, it's a question that every single human being wrestles with at some point in their life, or they ought to wrestle with at some point in their lives. Have a listen to the conversation as it happens. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where we are going. Here's the question, so how can we know the way? Lord, we don't know where we're going. How can we know the way? Jesus responds, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. You've seen the Father if you've seen me, Jesus says. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father, speaking about God here, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you remember a few weeks ago we said Jesus' entire ministry was about glorifying his Father? And here he is again. Do all of these things so that the Father will be glorified. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, Jesus' answer to Thomas's question tells us not only about our greatest problem in life, lostness, but also tells us the answer to that problem. Thomas says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm lost and I don't know the way. Jesus says in response, verse 6, then follow me because I am the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now these words, of course, were spoken on the night when Jesus was betrayed. This is the night before the crucifixion. They're gathered together around the Last Supper and you can imagine that the atmosphere is very dark and it's very tense. So you might be thinking to yourself now, well, this is a very strange text, isn't it, to be thinking about on Easter Sunday when we should be all upbeat and we should all be jolly. But of course, there is a direct link to today. Throughout Easter week, from Palm Sunday, through Monday, Thursday, through Good Friday, Jesus has always had his eye on Easter Sunday. Jesus has always been looking towards Resurrection Sunday. Why? Because in everything that Jesus says, in response to Thomas's question about his sense of lostness, Jesus knew that the resurrection was the event that would make and still makes his promise a practical reality. Jesus makes a promise to Thomas, and he knew that Easter Sunday would be the action, the outworking of that promise to make it a practical reality. Well, Thomas asked this brilliant question because in chapter 13, the chapter before, 
you might remember there's been all of that foot washing. Jesus has become a servant to people who should have been serving him. There's been this very heated discussion amongst the disciples about who was the greatest. And then chapter 14 begins with Jesus saying this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And then Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. Now, it's this last comment that prompts Thomas's almost desperate, kind of exasperated question that comes in verse 5. But Jesus, we have got absolutely no idea where you're going. How do you expect us to possibly find the road when you're being so cryptic, when you're being so abstract? Now, we don't know terribly much about Thomas from the scriptures, but what you do get the sense of is that Thomas is a loyal man. He's a courageous follower, a courageous disciple of Jesus, but too, he's a rather nervy character who's full of doubts and full of fear by nature. I wonder if you can identify. This morning, do you feel full of fear? Do you feel that you carry lots of doubts, even as a Christian, even as a follower of Jesus? Well, can I assure you this morning, there is room for your doubt in your journey with Jesus. Some of us really need to hear that this morning. There's room for your doubt in your journey with Jesus. How do I know that? Because you'll notice that Jesus does not rebuke Thomas for his doubt. Instead, Jesus offers, offers confident hope for Thomas to grasp hold of. Now, Jesus has been speaking of his father's house, and he's saying, look, in my father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. I absolutely love that Thomas is so eager and so excited to get to that place that he asks this question. And in asking the question, Jesus gives a response, and Jesus' reply is so wonderfully unambiguous and categorically clear, and I think that's really helpful. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Well, of course, that then goes on to provoke the next response from another disciple, Philip, who decides he's going to join in with the conversation as well. Does that ever happen in your house? You're having a private conversation, and someone else butts in. Well, Philip butts in and says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And in Jesus' response to Philip, you just start to see in the story the disciples' sense of mutual lostness together. They really were all in the same boat, even though they'd spent so much time in the company of Jesus. Now, I think John includes all this extra dialogue, the bit with Philip, the bit with Thomas, to help us understand what he was saying, what Jesus was saying in verse 6, in perhaps one of the most famous of Jesus's. I am statement. You know, he said lots of times, I am this, I am that. And here he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, what I'd love to do is just have a look at what Jesus says in three really obvious points. I am the way, number one. I am the truth, number two. And I am the life, number three. So Jesus says, first of all, I am the way. There's no ambiguity here whatsoever. Jesus' point is very very clear. In order to be in a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, we have to walk with and we have to be in relation 
with Jesus. There is no other way to the Father, says Jesus here in the text. Now, I know that's not a very politically correct thing to say. It's being live-streamed. I can already anticipate what comments are probably appearing on the live stream as I speak. But Jesus said it, and if Jesus said it, then it's a capital T truth that we need to wrestle with. You'll notice that Jesus does not say, I am a way or a truth or a life. That would have left the door wide open for ambiguity. Instead, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. And here he says, I am the way. Now, I know that that statement is both challenging and it's controversial at the same time. But what if it's true? And you know, as I wrestled with all the things that Jesus said here, I had to conclude, and maybe this won't surprise you as a church minister, I concluded it was true, that Jesus really is all that he says he is. What Jesus is saying here is inescapable, no matter how much we might like to try and dress up his statement to, to make it more digestible and more PC, Jesus is saying here that I am the only way for you to be in relationship with God. In his book, uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis powerfully makes a, a point about Jesus' statement that he's making here. It's a brilliant quote. You've probably heard it before. He says, a man who said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg. Know anyone like that? Or else he would be the devil of hell. Know anyone like that? You must make your choice, says Lewis. Either this man was and is the Son of God, Lord, or else he's a madman, a lunatic, or something worse, he's a liar. He can either be a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. And having considered all that Jesus said, I had to conclude that Jesus was not a liar, and he was not a lunatic, and that he indeed must therefore have been Lord. So Jesus says all of these words, but as if his words weren't enough, Jesus then backed up the validity of what he said by conquering death three days later on Easter Day. Jesus is alive! Yeah. Sorry, I stole that sign to try and make us a bit more charismatic. You see, Jesus said the words, but then he acted on those words, and he died and he came back to life, and in coming back to life, he silenced the boast of death, and he silenced the boast of the grave. Jesus is saying, look, the grave has absolutely no power over me whatsoever. I really am the way. Now, I don't know about you, but by nature, I'm a sheep. Now, I don't mean pretty woolly and mostly bleating incomprehensible nonsense, although maybe, just maybe that's what you're thinking right now. But by nature, I wonder. I'm somebody who wanders from the right pathway, even when I know the right pathway to walk. I'm somebody who gets lost. I'm somebody who gets myself into no end of trouble. If I was in the race around the world, I can tell you for now, I would not listen to what Meg said. <laughs> I would do my thing and it would be right. And if we had to walk an extra thousand miles, I would still uh, be right. That's how it works in our house. Maybe you can identify. I'm a wanderer. I get lost. It's written into my DNA somehow. In one of Jesus' other I am statements, he said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd that rescues people and I take them back home. Why? Because I know the way. Because I'm a shepherd who cares. And the Bible says to us, look, by nature, all of us are wanderers. All of us have wandered away to God and there is no way back to him in our own strength. 
That's our misery, that we're so lost that we can't be in a relationship with God. But Jesus, a person, is the way to God. And the greatest joy we can know is that God is able to bring us back into relationship with Jesus. Why? Because he died the perfect death, having lived the perfect life, and he rose again, and he's alive. Jesus has made a way where there was no way. And when we put our trust, and when we put our hope, and our confidence in Jesus, rather than in ourselves, that's where I like to put my hope, and Jesus says, stop putting it there, Chris. When I put my hope firmly in Jesus, I discover incredible freedom. And I wonder for you today, if you feel like you just lack some direction, maybe you can identify with Thomas in the story. Maybe you feel today like you're wandering far and you're wide. Can, far and wide, can I? No, I just said you're wide. Sorry about that. <laughs> can I encourage you this morning, even if you're wide, to grab the hand of Jesus and to allow Jesus to lead you because he knows the way. Jesus knows the way, but he's more than just knowing the way. He is the way into relationship with God. Would you hold on to the hand of Jesus today? Because I can promise you when I did that 30-something years ago, I don't feel lost anymore. But I feel secure and I feel like I'm in a relationship because I'm trusting somebody who not only knows the way but is the way. He said, so I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I suppose Jesus could well have left it there, couldn't he? He could have just said, I am the way, but he doesn't. He goes on and he says, I am the way, I am the truth. Again, he doesn't say I'm a truth. He doesn't say I'm part of the truth, but he says I am the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But you might be sitting there thinking, well, what is truth? Well, we could have a great philosophical conversation about that for hours. Can I encourage you to have it over dinner time? You know, the truth is, It's not a new question, what is the truth? It's an old question. If you've journeyed with us uh, through our Easter story, you might remember Pilate asked the question to Jesus himself. He says, but what is truth? This is not a new question that people are wrestling with. But maybe it's a question that you're wrestling with today. Can I encourage you if you are, have the philosophical questions, that's brilliant. But somewhere along the way, would you check Jesus out who says, I am the truth? He says that so plainly to Thomas in his conversation. Now, in saying all of this, I don't think Jesus is simply saying to Thomas, well, do you know what? I'm I'm the right way. Jesus is the right way. Of course he is. And he will lead those uh, who, who look for him to eternal life in the paths of righteousness, or we can say in the paths of rightness, down the paths of truth. But Jesus is not simply saying here either that he just speaks the truth all of the time, although, of course, that is true. But rather, Jesus' statement here plumbs to much deeper, much greater depth. Jesus is saying, I am the embodiment of the truth. If you want to see truth, look at truth in me, because I am truth personified. I am the truth wearing human skin, is what he's trying to say to Thomas here in this moment. And the truth knew that soon he would die at the hands of evil men. But if you want to see the truth, Jesus says to Thomas, look at me. Because you are looking at, not a truth, but you're looking at the truth. Now, by simple logic and rational thinking, that means that all other ways are fake news. To trust any other truth is to reject the truth and therefore to reject the one who is the truth. Now, should we tackle the elephant in a room for a moment? There's this idea about, isn't there, and it's been around for a long time, actually, that 
truth is relative, that truth can change depending upon your understanding of it. Maybe you've heard people say, well, you have your truth and I have mine. It's a very postmodern way to think, but such a statement is a logical fallacy. What Thomas, Thomas discovers here is he is looking truth in the very eyes, in the very face, as Jesus looks at him, is this, that there is my truth and your truth, and then there is the truth. In other words, my truth and your truth are groundless truths unless those truths are anchored in the truth who is Jesus. And so when Jesus says what he's saying, he's not saying, as some other religions and ologies might suggest, that he's kind of discovered something nice within himself, and in my own way, I am the truth. Jesus is saying here that the truth, reality if you like, is found in him and it's found in no one else. Here's another controversial statement for you to chew over lunch. To not believe in Jesus is to believe a lie. To not believe in Jesus is to believe something which is false and will lead to a dead end. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has already said, know the truth, capital T, truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus' promise to Thomas and to Philip in our text, and he still makes the promise to us today as well, is that if only we'll come into relationship with him, we'll receive the gift of his Holy Spirit, who Jesus refers to in, in this text and in other places in John's Gospel as the Spirit of truth. When we come to know the truth, we receive the gift of God's Spirit, who is the Spirit of truth, who will lead us deeper into all truth. I need that for me. I'm a sheep. Ah, I can so easily be led down the wrong path. I need to know the truth. And the truth keeps calling me back to himself. And I seek to follow him. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. Now again, I guess Jesus could have stopped with those two statements, doesn't he? But he adds a third. I wonder why. Well, I think it's because Jesus knew that Baptists love to preach three points. <laughs> it's a three-point sermon. So he bolts on to the end, I am the life. Sorry, that was incredibly flippant. You see, to fully make sense of what Jesus means when he says, I am the life, we need to remind ourselves of what it was that prompted the question that Thomas asked. Listen again to verse 3. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to myself so that you may also be where I am. Now, in saying what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is shifting the focus from a place, which is heaven, to a person who is himself, from a geographical location to a relationship. Where Jesus is, there is heaven, is the logical conclusion of what Jesus is saying. And that's the essence of heaven. It's the immediate presence of Jesus. If you want to know what hell is, the opposite is the absence of Jesus. Heaven is the presence of Jesus. So when Jesus says to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, he's saying, do you know what? I'm going to go through death this night and in the day ahead of us. Tomorrow I'm going to suffer the most brutal crucifixion anyone has ever experienced. You know, we sanitize the cross, don't we? We make it very palatable, but it was a brutal, horrific experience. Ever seen the Passion of the Christ? I was so embarrassed when we went to see that. I was the guy with the wife who was loudly in the cinema. But actually, we should have all been responding like that. It was horrific. 
Jesus says, I'm going to go through all that for you so that on Easter Sunday, I'm going to come out of death, I'm going to conquer death so that I myself can be your dwelling place forever. Jesus is alive. Why do, why do the charismatics always sit together? I, I've noticed this. <laughs> now, you might be feeling at this point, well, you know, all this is really comforting. It's wonderful, isn't it, to know that one day, because I've trusted Jesus, I've got a ticket to heaven. But depending on what stage of life you're at, you might just be thinking this morning, do you know, that's so far away. Or I've still got tomorrow. Why worry about that? And in a sense, it can leave us with the question. And I think the disciples have left, are left with this question as well. And they want to say to Jesus, Jesus, how are you going to deal with this holy turmoil, this unholy turmoil that is in my soul right now? Jesus, I've got a bit of a wrestle going on right now. And you telling me I've got a ticket to heaven when I die is great. Thank you so much. I'm going to take it. And I'll take it with both hands. But actually, I've still got to live today. And I wonder if that's your wrestle for today. I thought it was so brilliant, wasn't it, when... Richard shared that one of his big questions, his big wrestles over Alpha was suffering. We should all wrestle with that question. Life can be tough. And knowing that there's a ticket to heaven, well, that's fantastic and that's fan brilliant. But actually, I need to know in the here and now that Jesus is going to make a difference in my life. And you kind of sense that there's something in what Philip is saying in verse 8 that's about that. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father now. Now, now, now. I want to see the Father now. And that will be sufficient for me. Jesus, that will be enough for my troubled heart. Thank you for the gift, the ticket to heaven. I'm taking it. But I need to see the Father right here, right now. And then Jesus kind of spirals off in his words in verses 7 to 11. And I think the emphasis is crystal clear. Six times, Jesus says virtually the same thing. He says, he and the Father are so profoundly one that his presence is the presence of God the Father. When you find Jesus, you discover God himself. When you discover Jesus, you are in relationship with God the Father. He says, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Whoever has seen him has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, says Jesus repeatedly. And Philip says to Jesus, show us God the Father, show us him now, and that will be enough for me. Jesus says repeatedly, I have showed you God the Father, he's here as close as I am now. Is that enough? Is that enough for you? And then Jesus goes on to promise his disciples that even when he physically goes later in the text, that he would still be God with them, still be God of Emmanuel with them, as he later would send his spirit, which we'll remember at Pentecost, to be with them. You see, I think Jesus is really keen for Thomas and for Philip, for the other disciples who surely were earwigging, to get beyond the idea that Jesus is just a ticket to heaven. He is that. But Jesus is more than that. He's also our life in the here and now as well as on into eternity. Our eternity begins the moment we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's when our life Life in all of its fullness, the, the kind of life that Jesus described, begins. And we can experience that life in the here and now. We don't have to wait for the rest of eternity, because eternity begins when we make that commitment. Jesus is saying, I am the life, I am the source of all life. Without me, there is life, of course there is, but it's certainly not life in all of its fullness. If you want to experience that, would you come into relationship with me? 
Jesus is saying, I alone am the one who can bring a person alive from death, even spiritual death, as they're walking here on planet Earth. I alone can do that. I alone can bring you fully alive. And as I finish, I just want to ask you a few questions this morning. I just wonder if you feel utterly dead here this morning. Utterly dead. Not a corpse. Hopefully we'll spot those and someone will start working on you. But I just wonder if you feel spiritually dead. Would you invite Jesus this morning to be your Lord and Savior? Why not on Easter Day 2023? What a precious day to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. I wonder if today you feel like you're somehow cut off from God, like God is really distant, that you, you somehow lack a sense of spiritual life. Jesus is the life, and he loves to give life in all of its fullness to those who will follow him. Maybe today you're just feeling a bit languid. Maybe today you're feeling a bit lacking. Jesus is the life. Maybe today you're feeling directionless. Would you trust Jesus, not only to show you the way, but to be the way? that you can be in relationship with God. We're all in something of a race around the world, aren't we? We're all taking our journey, exploring and wrestling with all the big questions that Thomas was wrestling with. It's, a, it's an exciting adventure. But can I encourage you today, if in your race, your walk through this world, you're feeling lost and not knowing where to go. Jesus is the one to go to because he knows the way, he is the way. He can confidently tell you the way into your eternal future. He can confidently tell you how to experience life in all of its fullness today because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Let me finish with these words from Hebrews, and then I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. It says this, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I love that. The idea that there's a cloud of witnesses. Just imagine for a moment the whole of heaven leaning over the balcony for you today, just shouting, come on, come and experience life. Come and discover Jesus, maybe for the first time or again, because you'll discover life in all of its fullness. Heaven is cheering you on this morning. And then the writer goes on, let us throw off everything that so easily hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Maybe today you just feel I'm wrestling with some stuff and I know it's not good. Today's the day to let the sin and the stuff that's tangled you up drop to the floor. Jesus can deal with it fully and completely. And then the writer says, and let us run with perseverance the race around the world. We didn't say that. The race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the Father God. He endured the cross. He dealt with the shame. He's risen again. And guess what? Jesus is alive. <laughs> Let's pray together. <laughs> it's great to worship together as a church community and a church family, isn't it? It's fantastic. But I just really sense this morning that God would just like 
to challenge each of us personally, not so much as a church family, but each of us personally today. Just to ask the question, what have you, what have you done with my son Jesus? I love him, and I gave him for you. I gave him for the forgiveness of your sin. Hence, Jesus would say to you this morning, I am the way, I'm the truth, I am the life. Without the way, there is no going. <laughs> Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. Jesus makes an invitation to you this morning to follow him the way. He says to you this morning, would you allow me to be the truth that you believe in and that you pursue? Would you allow me to be the life for which you hope? If you choose to follow me, if you choose to remain in my way, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free in this life and eternally too for the life to come. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you went to the cross to deal with our sin and with our shame with our guilt and all of our rubbish, we worship you today, our Lord and our Saviour. And Lord, this morning, maybe for the first time for some of us, but maybe again, we commit our lives to you and just say, Jesus, we want to follow you. Maybe you just want to make this a prayer just in the quietness of your own heart. Jesus, I choose to follow you. Jesus, I choose you to be the way. Jesus, I choose you to be the life. Jesus, I know you to be the truth. And I will follow you as your disciple. Lord, give me the gift of your spirit. The spirit of truth. So that I can live for you and know life. Life in all of its fullness. In Jesus' name.